you recently got like a two point something million dollar grant, didn't you, Sherry? Right. Because I've been working in this industry for 20 years at that point in time. What are the benefits of forming a nonprofit? Community development organizations, CHODOs, they call them, get special preference under the state's finance agency's tax credit programs. If I had three low-income persons on my board out of a five-member board, I automatically would qualify for a 50% tax abatement right off the top on all of my real estate. But again, we have to be formed for a charitable organization to assist low-income families. But that's real money. I can tell you that I went to bat with the right attorney and I got the 100% exemption, not because I'm a chodo, but because the grant serves people in poverty. And again, I had to invest the money to get it. But every year, because she came to the table, we saved $25,000 in our operating budget from real estate taxes that fall to our bottom line and help us do the next right thing. Who do you need to hire to help you form a nonprofit? There are attorneys that will file a, the state's paperwork for you. There's an easy form. It's just like your tax forms. If you expect not to make more than, I think it's $50,000 cash flow per year for the first three years, you qualify under the EZ form. What is sort of the first step that someone should take? Should they be Googling CDBG and saying like, hey, where's money allocated to? Every state's going to be different. So who's ever in charge of issuing your tax credits for the state, they'll have a program. They have to meet with the communities that are impacted by the disasters. They have to assess it. They have to come up with a dollar value. They have to get public hearings and feedback. You have to find out what your state agency is. You sign up for the newsletter blast. They tell you, you just get their news. You go find the builders that are already building brand new subdivisions and you get relationships. And then when the money hits, you and the builder come together and put in the application. Hey, welcome to another episode of Affordable Housing and Real Estate Investing. Today, I have Sherry and I have to tell all of you about Sherry because when I first had this conversation with her, it was scheduled for 30 minutes and we went on for almost an hour and a half. And it really helped me confirm that this community that we're building full of affordable housing investors is absolutely the right thing. I got so much confirmation that day from talking with Sherry. And I was looking forward to this conversation for about almost a month now because she is a wealth of knowledge. But most importantly, I really want to bring her on because I want everyone to see how pure her intentions are when it comes to helping people. And I am just so grateful and I'm so blessed to welcome Sherry onto the show. So Sherry... I got to let you introduce yourself. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you, Kent. Um, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to meet more affordable housing warriors out there like yes. Kent and everyone else. Um, you know, I come to this industry at this point in my life, having done affordable housing in the public housing sector, and then moving on into the private sector for 30 plus years. Um, I've seen, I've seen all the things that work, and I've seen a whole lot that doesn't work. So, um, you know, at this point in time, I'm sort of doing it my way. I'm figuring out how to take all these like pages out of other folks' playbooks that I have learned over the last 30 years to develop affordable housing 
And I formed a nonprofit in honor of my son. And, you know, him and I just be killing it by doing, putting his name on our properties, me letting um, the universe guide me really to my work and, um, and being excited that the affordable housing that I bring to the market now is in a place and a space where I would live. And if it wouldn't meet that criteria, then it's not my project to do. So I'm not trying to be the biggest developer. I'm just trying to be the best. And yes. I all of my magic. I'm a Feng Shui practitioner. Um, I believe in holistic supportive services for families versus maybe more traditional, um, you know, methods. Mm -hmm. And mostly because those things have worked for me on my journey. You know, like what didn't break me did make me stronger, even though I didn't feel like it in the moment. I can relate to families um, struggling to break the chains of poverty that they've been mm -hmm. born into. And, um, you know, knowing that um, sometimes people just need, you know, a hand out to help them and say, I believe in you um, and you are worthy. And that's me. Like I'm a product of being born Corn County, Iowa in poverty with seven, you know, children in our family. And, um, and we're all doing okay today because, you know, our parents just taught us to chop the wood every single day. And, mm. um, and that's my goal. That is my goal to just pay it forward and to help the families that I'm called to help in the affordable housing industry. But be smart about the the cash flow. Be smart mm -hmm. about the financing. If the deal does not make sense, we just pass on it. So got um, it. Got it. So yeah. So that's who I am, um, Sherry. I mean, you you have such an a vast amount of affordable housing experience, and and maybe we can take this conversation. Uh, into two parts because I when I heard about you and what you're doing and how you're consulting with the public housing authorities and helping them, that's a great responsibility that not a lot of people even know about. But then you also talk about all the grants that you've got and your specialty with grants. So maybe let's let's take it from the grant side first because I think you have a really great story and it also is achievable by many people that they can learn what you have done and apply it towards their own portfolio so that they can create more affordable housing. So you recently got like a two point something million dollar grant, didn't you, Sherry? Something along those lines. Right, right. Um, because um, because I've been working in this industry for you know twenty years at that point in time, so my resume said that I knew what I was doing because I had sat on the public sector side of the house and I had worked these deals with these large private developers, you know, so I learned from them while the housing authorities and my clients paid me to learn the housing authority paid me or my, you know, and it's, again, this is what I will say. Um, you know, you have to just show up at the, and do the next right thing in order to position yourself to have the credibility for the grants, especially the large ones. So my advice is if you're not in that industry right now that you are called to for real estate development, I mean, there's all kinds of nonprofits out here who need your service, who need, and when, when you volunteer for them, you are going to learn a thing. 
you're going to see if it's a good fit for you. Whatever it is, I mean, there's housing for folks that, you know, very vulnerable populations that are victims of domestic abuse, um, veterans, um, um, homelessness, um, you know, addiction issues. These types of populations have a tremendous amount of grant funding available, but I will say that you have to know how to help the folks. It's more than just the house. It has to be the supportive services. So volunteer at one of those homeless shelters, soup kitchens, um, just see if that, if it resonates with you. And if it doesn't let it go, cause then it might be a different form or version, but it might not be that type of organization. You know, I volunteered at like grief centers and I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm not doing that. That just makes me sad and depressed. <laughs> like, I can't be that. Okay. Um, but I can build housing to help people. Right. Like, I, I feel that is my lane. Supportive services and case management, that is for other folks. Um, and I think so, that's such a great point that you just started out there, Sherry. It's not only did you give them practical advice, because a lot of people like to say the generic thing. Oh, I just like to help people. Right. That's what they like to say. Well, who do you want to help and how do you want to help them? Sherry just gave you all the listeners that are listening to this right now. Very practical advice on one going to the actual thing, seeing if this is the population that you want to help and then learning how to do it. And then when you take one step, usually another step reveals itself. And I really hope the, the audience takes that to heart with what Sherry just kind of provided. Because that's that's very, very great wisdom that you just shared. Yeah. So you're gonna you're gonna take a page out of their playbook. I'm gonna teach you how to just keep collecting tools in your toolbox and take the ones that work for you and the ones that don't work for you, let it go. It's okay. You got experience, you know, but and you helped people along the way, but it might not be your calling. But if you learn a thing, it's in your toolbox and then, you know, you move forward in the process. At some point you can, you know, you can manage the nonprofit. You can, um, you know, form your own nonprofit. If again, if, if you're called to it, it will come to you. And forming the nonprofit's not the difficult part. It's funding it. It's keeping it going and getting help and getting the grants. I mean, anybody can, I think anybody with, a couple hundred dollars can file a nonprofit, but you gotta again have you gotta have the wherewithal to be really all in because I think maybe three out of four nonprofits fail not for lack of good intentions but for lack of what I'll call knowledge, experience, and support and a passionate okay. story. You gotta you listen. You gotta have a story. The, the best advice I ever got from the, a CPA when I wanted to do my first project and I needed $120,000 and nobody would loan it to me because I had a skinny bank account mm. and I had a Harvey, Hurricane Harvey flooded house. She said, Sherry, the best um, resource you have is your story. She said, there are people all over this world that want to write checks to make themselves feel good. She said, if you keep telling your story, the checks will come. So here I am telling my story to you all today. <laughs> well, Sherry, I guess what are the benefits of forming a nonprofit? Can you help explain like two or three benefits of why someone would even try to form a nonprofit? Yeah. So a great question, Kent. So a, a, a little known secret 
is that um, community development organizations, CHODOs they call them, get special preference under the state's finance agency's tax credit programs. You, but a CHODO is like a community-based development organization. So you have a board, you have to have low-income um, persons on your board, um, and then your tax benefits are in some states, you got to research your states to see, but you got special um, uh, relief from real estate taxes in the tax code. Uh, you know, the state of Texas, I can speak to the state of Texas because we formed ours there. If I had three low income family uh, persons on my board out of a five member board, I automatically would qualify for a 50% tax abatement right off the top on all of my real estate. But again, we have to be formed for a charitable organization to assist low income families. But that's real money. Um, I can tell you that I went to bat with the right attorney and I got the 100% exemption, not because I'm a chodo, but because the grant serves people in poverty. I mean, again, I had to invest the money to get it, but every year because she came to the table, we get we save $25,000 in our uh, operating budget from real estate taxes that fall to our bottom line and help us do the next right thing. Wow. So, so you got to you got to just go check out Chodos. Chodos if you're doing real estate development. So a great, great explanation there. There's property tax savings and that really results in bottom line savings. So for some folks that are out there trying to do good and you know the margins might be a little bit thin, this is one way for you to turn a deal that might not be viable into something that is viable from a cash flow perspective. Uh, Sherry, the other question I get all the time is, how does one create a nonprofit to be real estate because sometimes it's very hard to say hey real estate is a nonprofit activity have you run into any issues like that or trying to declare that the main purpose of the nonprofit is to provide housing no no as long as your target market is below 80% of area median income all day long you can make that that case but again you see housing authorities have taught that to me over the last 30 years they're all formed under state charters to serve low income families under 80% of AMI and all day long they get all these tax benefits, including a sales tax benefit. So you, you will get, you'll be eligible as a nonprofit to get a sales tax exemption. So you won't pay um, sales tax on any of your purchases either, materials or, uh, you know, goods and goods, you know, any purchases, large equipment, uh, inventory that you buy, like your appliances and things like wow. that. You know, I just punch in the tax exempt certificate that the IRS sent me to Home Depot when I placed my order and the sales tax is wiped right off. Wow. I did not realize that. Um, I guess maybe the better question is like, who do you need to hire to help you form a nonprofit? Are there certain like attorneys that are nonprofit attorneys? Help the audience understand like who do they need as part of their team to do this correctly? Because we don't want anyone to ever get in trouble for not doing this correctly. Right. So um, there are attorneys that will file a, the state's paperwork for you. I will say that 
um, it's not rocket science that I could walk anybody through it. Like there's a, there's an easy form. It's just like your tax forms. There's a, if you expect not to make more than, I think it's $50,000 cash flow per year for the first three years, you qualify under the uh, EZ form. But I think, you know, can't, I can't pull the actual form number out of my head in this moment, but um, I can look it up and send it to you, Kent, because it's, it's simple. I want to say, I think maybe like we got out of the gate with $300, an attorney who I told my story to, who was referred to me, he filled out, he helped me fill out my, my initial form. Um, and then he waived all of his fees once I told him my story. So it didn't cost me anything. Oh my God. The filing wow. fee with the state. And so I'm going to say, I'm going to pay it forward, you know, for people that want to do this. Um, I'll walk you through the form. It's not difficult. It's not rocket science. Wow. You form it up in your state, you file it and you got to file with the state. Then you got to file with the IRS for your tax exemption status and your, you're off to the races. Wow. I mean, do you have to be super specific about the type of population that you're helping or anything like that? Or just, hey, housing nope. for people 80% less, uh, less than 80% AMI? You don't even have to be that specific. I, oh. I, when I filed, I just said I'm a charitable organization helping people deal with, you know, the adversity in their life. That's what I said, because I was like, I don't even know what I'm going to do with my nonprofit, but I'm going to write a book. Uh, and I'm going to build housing and develop housing because that's what I know how to do. Wow. Thank you so much for answering those questions because you have no idea how many overthinkers, I guess, for lack of better words, out there because they're like nonprofit. That sounds very, very complex. It sounds like something that the Bill Gates Foundation have to do or something like that, right? Where billionaires had to put together these nonprofits. But it sounds like a regular person can just simply learn from you, Sherry, and then put one together and help the people they want to help. Yes. Think about providing a charitable service to your community that qualifies as a nonprofit and you can make a profit as a nonprofit. Yeah. It's counterintuitive, but trust me, we, you know, nonprofits need to make money. They need to stay, they need to cash flow to stay in business. That's exactly right. I mean, that's one of the challenges. People think like a, a nonprofit or charity is purely there, but it needs to run itself. There's still salaries. If you want help, you got to be able to pay your employees. Um, I guess just if you can give an example, like how can nonprofits make money? So a lot of them do um, something that I don't, you know, so I can't really speak to their model. The traditional model is... Um, they do fundraisers, you know, they have campaigns where they annual galas and events. And I'm not a salesperson. That is not who I am. So I've known for a long time that was not my funding source. But you get a lot of like-minded people um, in those events who will support your nonprofit. So I want to put it out there that that's a traditional approach. Um, my approach is real estate. Everybody needs a house. So if the real estate cash flows, then my cash flow is my uh, 
<laughs> my path so that I don't have to go out and, you know, shake the can on the corner. And it works for me. It works for me. Could I get more donations if I did more fundraising events? I'm sure I could, but it's not how I want to spend my time. Correct. You're letting the cash flow from your real estate pay for the operations. And that's how you, you can profit, quote unquote, from, from the cash flow. Yes. And continuing to leverage that cash flow instead of paying out salaries. Like I just defer my salary every year wow, um, for my that. nonprofit unless I close a major grant. So like the two and a half million dollar grant that I got uh, from that, I got like, um, I think a developer fee. We get a developer fee. And so that developer fee paid my salary for a couple of years while I was in the trenches, you know, getting those billed and working through the paperwork. But unless I close a deal, my salary is my, um, it's on the books as a liability that I get paid whenever we will, you know, cash flow or sell those houses. Um, but otherwise, I'm just booking it and getting three and a half percent interest on my, on my, you know, efforts. And that's enough for me. You know what I mean? But every um, deal inspires me to put it together in such a way that we can get some cash flow um, in a developer fee so I can get paid. And if right. I do, great. And if I don't, it's fine, too. And just to clarify, there's a board, right, for your nonprofit that kind yes. of determines the salaries. So it's not just like a made up number completely. Correct. Correct. And it is just me. I mean, it's just me and my, con I, I hire freelance consultants for what I need. I hire, I go to Upwork. Um, that's one of my go-tos. I get accounting, my, you know, my accounting person is clear around the world. My bookkeeper is clear around the world. My CPA is in the States. Um, you know, when I wrote my book, my graphic artist, I think was in Brazil. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, like you get some really great talent off these freelancer websites. Yeah. And, I, and this is not amazing. product promotion. I'm just telling you who I use. <laughs> and I, I appreciate the transparency because I think for a lot of time people are like, well, how do I make this thing sustainable? Well, when you make deals work, you can one, get the cash flow, you can pay your salaries, you can still eat, right? You can still eat while helping people. It's it, you can't, you can do that. And from that point onwards, now that you have the nonprofit set up, let's kind of go back to the grant, Sherry, because do you need a nonprofit to get access to the grants? Because sometimes that's usually what people are talking about. So you don't, but there's a lot more grants available for nonprofits. So I would say in general, some, some of the grants are very specific and eligibility is limited to nonprofit organizations. So, um, uh, if I'm starting out again, uh, you know, again, if I'm doing lessons learned and I'm talking to my younger self, I would have said all day long, it was the smart play to form the nonprofit instead of being a for-profit developer, but for-profit mm -hmm. developers can show up and, um, apply for grants too. the CDBG disaster funds. Let's talk about a specific yes. source. That $2.4 million came to me in Texas as a result of Hurricane Harvey. Okay. So I just want to say some of the biggest storms in your life might bring some of the greatest gifts. In the moment when I'm in Houston, Texas, and I'm seeing the entire city being flooded 
and I'm worried as I'm watching the water rise up over the curb and towards my own house. And this went on. We got 51 inches of rain over five days as the storm just sat over us and spun. Um, and tornado warnings going off constantly. You know, all the fear. And people died during that, you know, event. Um, I just remember feeling like it was the most apocalyptic event I had ever experienced in my life where a city the fourth largest in the country was virtually brought to its knees and was going underwater um so I had no idea at that time the amount of money that was going to be allocated from congress and pushed down to replace lost affordable rental housing but I knew people because of the work that I did. I knew developers who had me working for them on their projects to do the compliance side of it on federal grants. And as soon as I plugged into that source, I'm like, well, here it comes. Um, I got to have a project of at least eight units and, you know, I got a nonprofit and I'm going to apply because what's the worst they can say is no. And they, and they said yes. They said yes to my deal because they said of all the deals they did with the um, Harvey funds in the state of Texas, no one else was building in a brand new subdivision at a starter point home price point of about $150,000. And my houses look just like the homeowners next door. And you can't pick them out as affordable housing. And their rents are half the market rate rents. So that's how, again, you have to position yourself to be in the right place at the right time. However, I will say that that CDBG disaster will follow the storms. If you want to be a storm chaser, chase the CDBG disaster funds. Because wherever the storms hit, Congress will... And, and the president declares a, a disaster. The CDBG program, Community Block Grant Development Funds for Disasters, will follow. They will allocate. It will be a competitive process. So, again, you've got to have a strong resume, a strong team. Um, I think, you know, it was by the grace of God that I got that one. But it was because I had showed up and chopped the wood consistently to that point. And then when I told my story, they're like, you, we believe in you. And you are doing, this is what they told me at the state agency level. You are doing affordable di housing different than every other project that we funded, over 80 of them. And ours was, ours was the one that was like, look, you can't pick ours out. You don't know this is affordable housing. Oh, this is such a good story. Um, this is so cool. So let, let's, let's break it down because I want, the audience to be able to replicate what you're doing, Sherry, because there is going to be another storm eventually. It's inevitable. But yes. they get to say, next time this happens, I can be prepared and I can put in the steps in motion to go help people. And they are probably just like you, Sherry. They want to provide beautiful homes. There's a reason we haven't brought any slumlords onto this podcast. It's because I want people to learn from great people like you who care about their properties and would provide a product that you will be proud of that other people can live in. So for this, let's take this grant, right? So hurricane hits, 
what is sort of the first step that someone should take? Should they be Googling CDBG and saying like, hey, where's money allocated to? Like, Give the audience a little bit more tactical advice. Like, hey, what should the steps be whenever something like that happens again? So it's important. Every state's going to be different from how it gets allocated from Congress. It's going to go to HUD next. You know, HUD's going to be the agency that, that disperses it down to the state agencies. In some states, there are, you know, state finance agency will get it. So who's ever kind of in charge of issuing your tax credits for the state, they'll have a program they have to meet with the communities that are impacted by the disasters. They have to assess it. They have to come up with a dollar value. They have to get public hearings and feedback. You have to find out what your state agency is. If it's a state finance agency, I mean, you sign up for their newsletter blast. They tell you, you just get their news. If it's in the state of Texas, it's the um, Texas General Land Office that you know, administers the grants. And so, you know, I was plugged into them for other, for these other private developers I was helping with compliance. So I knew when the funding was coming and then you create relationships where you just pick up the phone and say, hey, you got any more funding coming down the pipe from storms from last year? I'm like, you build relationships because, because you build housing that you're proud of it makes them yes. look good to hide. Yes. You see how everybody wins? Everybody wins. And the developers who are building these starter point subdivisions, when I I called them and said, Hey, I'm, you know, I got this little nonprofit, affordable housing is my thing, my jam, and you're just in this lane of these sweet spot for, you know, new builds, 150,000 at the time it was pre-pandemic. Um I can't buy them at, at that price today, but um, I said, hey, if I get a grant, will you sell me maybe 15 of these? I said, I'm going to rent them. So they're not going to be low income. I mean, they're not going to be, um, you know, homeowners. They're going to be rental. And they said to me, sure, if you get a grant, we'll sell you a couple of million dollars worth of our houses because really that's what they're there to do, right? And the rest is history. So I'm going to say that's your, that's your, way in you go find where the money is going you get ahead of it you go find the builders that are already building brand new subdivisions in that community and you get relationships and then when the money hits you and the builder come together and put in the application and you can take a number of homes but you have to be like purposeful and mindful not to overwhelm the subdivision with too much rental housing because they're not going to like that either so my in my model like i try to stay between 25 percent to 35 percent no more than that um because that creates a healthy you know mix of renters and homeowners and again my price point is two hundred thousand and below wow so i guess the question would be for someone out there is like you should look for the grant money first before you look for the property. Is that what you would recommend next time? Or would you look for the property first before you look for the grant? What do you think? Nope. Nope. I mean, like you really do have to have a line on the money. 
um, and be positioned to know when the money is going to become available under, you know, the states agencies will make it available under a competitive, what they call a NOFA, a notice of funding opportunity or availability. So you got to sign up for those kind of, you know, funding notices. They will, they will many times want you to leverage their dollars with some permanent debt, you know, and you get more points in the, in the application process if you do that. And again, if you house some of these vulnerable populations, you can get more points, but I'll just, you know, again, go on the record saying, just be careful there that if you house those folks in that population, you have their supportive services coming, you know, with another partner. Um, right, because you can't, you can't expect- do both. Correct. You can't do both and do them well. And last thing you want to do is move trouble, troubled mm -hmm. folks into a brand new subdivision and then wreak havoc on the subdivision. You know, that's the worst thing you could do. Correct. And you got to make sure they have the right support services in there. Otherwise, you're not going to get a great relationship with the builder next time because they also care about the homeowner to renter mix. They care about the subdivisions value and preserving the value for the homeowners. So you got to be conscious of everything in those areas, wherever you're trying to get these grant funding um, for specifically. So thank you for, for raising that point, Sherry. Um, it sounds too good to be true. I bet someone out there is like, Hey, what do you mean? You got to get a couple of million bucks. What issues did you run into when you were applying for this grant and trying to close on this deal? Um, so my resume and my vision, they loved it. Um, and they said, we believe in you. Here's your conditional award. Now bring us your lender. And I'm like, wait, wait, what? I have a grant. I don't need a lender. They said, oh, but you do because this is a reimbursement program. Now, see, oh. if they had told me that up front, I don't know that it would have applied because like I couldn't imagine how I could qualify for a million, $2 million line of credit with, you know, next to no assets in my bank account. Turns out, turns out there are hard money lenders out there who are working folks just like you and me who will take the chance and do a reimbursement loan and finance you. I mean, the interest rate, I paid 12% interest and 2% origination fee. That was twice the going rate at the time. But I was happy to do it for 30 days to get me to the closing table. And he was a plumber of all people, a contractor in my world who lent me the money for the first five houses. And then I turned in the, you know, draw package to the uh, state agency and, and the money was back in my account in uh, 30 days and I paid him off. Wow. And I what a story. But <laughs> I will tell you that I almost, you know, had a nervous breakdown wow. when I didn't know what I didn't know on the front end. And I wasn't sure because this was in the middle of the COVID and all the banks and lenders didn't want to talk to me because number one, you got to have thick skin and be okay with people turning you down and telling you no and not believing you and your story and all that. Um, and if they didn't know the funding program, then they didn't have any confidence that, you know, I was actually going to get that money back. So they weren't going to, you know, come all in. 
Uh, but the real estate is your asset. Like I was giving them, assigning them everything to go to the closing. I'm giving them my rents, my, well, I, I mean, like I'm giving you the asset. If I don't pay this thing, like you got the asset. Um, and then once I got the first five in, now all of a sudden I had a million on my uh, balance sheet and people would talk to me. Then wow. I went traditional route for phase, for the phases two and three. Then I had people willing to lend me money. So, so that was probably my biggest, you know, oh crap moment. It's like I just bit off more than I could chew because I don't have a lender partner. I think that a lot of the things that I'm seeing like in our sub two community is there's a whole pipeline of lenders there that are just like you and me. And if I would have had that pipeline at the time, I would not have had that near nervous breakdown because I would have pitched that deal and I would have had all kinds of takers on it. So I'm going to say that's probably in our sub two community. That's one of the greatest, um, you know, partnerships, networks that I've seen in there to say, really, if your deals make sense, there are people out there who will lend you the money secured by the real estate to get you across that hump. I will, I will, what I know is I will never be there again because of the sub two community. I will never be there again. But, you know, at the time I, I wasn't in the sub two community and I was just doing things the way I had seen all the, you know, big boy developers doing it. And I didn't know where to go besides, you know, your local banks and lenders who didn't even want to talk to me. Oh, it was Karen, heartbreaking. That's why I love bringing you on because not only were you the underdog, quote unquote, uh, in the story, but then you also persevered and you you found a way through. And I guess if anybody, like this is how Sharon and I met through the sub community. Anybody ever wants, wonders about the community, just DM me on Instagram. Happy to kind of answer your questions. But Sherry, you, that is why I think I always emphasize the why for our audience and for our listeners. It's like your intention got to be so pure that you are ready to kind of run through walls because those problems will come up. Like these grants, they sound great and all, but then all of a sudden you find out, you find out these little things, these little pivots, these little left turns that will come up out of nowhere and you never expected them. And there's never almost a manual that tells you exactly how to get through it, except to just get through it with somebody. And now at least the audience now knows, Hey, if this ever happens to me, I might be able to call Sherry and have her help me through it because Sherry has been through it. She is the actual proof that anybody can do it watching this. You do not need to be a big boy developer in order to to pull this off. So please, if there's anything, please be inspired by this because I that's why I brought Sherry onto this podcast. I was so inspired and I just completely have I just admire you so much, Sherry. I I really do because these stories you can't make them up. And it's just so cool to see you win at the end of it. Um, so now that you got the grant, what are you planning to do? Because I remember you telling me a story about how you want to sell our finance, but tell us what your plan is with the properties. So so we closed these houses in um, these 13 houses under this $2.5 million grant in um, 20 and 21. So we got them all placed in service in early 21. And, you know, it takes you a minute to get fully leased and stable. And so we really didn't make any money the first year, you know, as we were just working through, I'll say some problem tenants, we moved in a couple and I had us 
you know, tighten down my screening criteria, but now stable. So here we are coming into 2023, the first year of us really making solid cash flow. And I have about $30,000 in my back pocket that I'm going to go leverage into our first home ownership house, rent to own home ownership for the families, the first 13 families who, you know, rented in our, you know, 80% and below category. If they're doing well, they're going to, they're going to um, over income. They're going to go over income and they're going to have to move out to make that house available to someone below 80%. Um, area median income. And so we have to recertify their income every year. This is where we have a pinch point usually with tenants who get stuck in poverty because they feel like if I go over this amount, I'm going to lose all my housing assistance and, you know, it, it's going to get harder for me and I don't want that. So I'm not going to go get a better job and I'm not going to do them the next right thing because I'm going to be punished for it. But in my model, we're going to go build, buy another house with our cash flow. And you're only going to qualify for it when you go over income, because now I need you to step into the next phase of financial self-sufficiency and stability and become the homeowner. And in order for you to do that, you're going to have to rent from us for a year at market rate rent. So like you were just renting from us the same house for probably half as much. Um, but this is a good problem. My, my brother's a financial advisor and he would say, this would be a good problem to have Sherry. Whenever I'm start complaining about taxes or costs, insurance, he goes like, it's a good problem to have. <laughs> so I'm going to say that to our tenants. This is a good problem to have, and I got a path for you. If you want to own this house, you got to show us now that you can pay rent solidly on time for a year. And if you can do that at market rate, then we got the mortgage. We're taking out the mortgage. You know, I got my little $30,000 cash flow down payment over here for this first. It's a pilot. We're rolling it out in 2024. It's good. I don't know. I'm going to learn some things, right? And, um, and then we're going to do supportive services for them on where are your pinch points for getting your mortgage and taking us out in the next two to three years. And as soon as you can do that, we are going to hug you, kiss you, wave on, let you take this mortgage, and we're going to recycle that money and go get another one for another family. That's what we're doing with the first 30. I don't know. Ask me five years from now. I'm going to go chase grants. I'm going to chase that grant money because I don't think people are doing it because for other reasons, I just don't choose to use our operating cash for other things other than to continue to leverage it into the next thing. So, so this uh, is my move in, move up and move out. Cause that's a good problem. Oh, that's a, that's a great model. I love that. And for audiences listening right now, you guys probably can't see. I was just cheesing the entire time as Cher was talking through it because Cher, you're literally helping these families realize the American dream of homeownership. And I completely resonate with what you talked about where people are in this really weird middle gray area where they say, Hey, if I make a little too much, I get kicked out of this home. 
And that's almost an impossible decision for a parent to make, especially if they have young children at home. And it's like displacing them, moving to different school. And it's almost impossible. And it kind of keeps them in that cycle to stay in that same position forever. And you have come up with an innovative solution to help them get that out. And I cannot wait to hear about the results. Even whatever happens, I'm sure it's going to turn out great. But even if you learn something, we're going to come back on, we're going to learn it because this is why we do the share. We are collecting pieces to the puzzle and affordable housing is such a massive problem that it's going to take a lot of different solutions. And I think if we can collect enough pieces to the puzzle, we will eventually solve this puzzle. And part of that puzzle is going to be a piece from you, Sherry, from the grants and also with this new solution that you came out on helping people become homeowners. This is so freaking cool. I love what you're doing. It's absolutely life-changing and it's so innovative. And it really shows the amount and years of experience that you've had that allowed you to even come up with this approach to not only leverage all the resources and just shows, showed how resourceful you are. So I'm just so thankful that you, you were able to kind of come on here and share it because for the longest time, people might not know how to help, but now just gave them a really, really concrete path that they can take themselves. So cool. Yeah. And, it, and you know, the sub two community, again, I'm going to give a shout out to them and props to them because they showed me how we can become the bank and we can hold the note until they're ready to take us out. Right. So we just entered a contract with them. They keep paying the mortgage and, you know, which is the rent plus our equity. And then they take us out. So like I'm learning too all the time on, you know, who the creative folks out here are doing it, but then I'm doing it for these families to get them on their feet. Because I mean, like, you know, it's taken me 30 years in this industry to, to get this piece myself but I'm paying it forward because like if, you know, a lot of them can't uh, um, qualify for a mortgage right out of the gate. Um, but if somebody believes in them and is helping them position them, whether it's their credit, whether it's their job, whatever they need to get fixed, um, you know, I'll stay in the game with them and keep cheering them on because I want them to take that house from us so we can go buy another house and help another tenant that's moving from rental to home ownership. So cheering for us all. <laughs> that is in the abundance mindset. I don't know what is that is like the epitome example of like being a go-giver. Um just sure now now that we're getting to the end of this, all right, I want to make sure I kind of cover some current news. I've I've seen that the White House issued over like $35 billion to convert like hotels and motels and maybe even office to affordable housing. What, do you know anything about those grants and how might people get access to it? Because right now I come from an immigrant family and I see a lot of migrant families come across. And yesterday I was just looking at the news and Denver struggling with tons of migrants going into their, their sanctuary cities and they have no place to put them. And they're in cold weather. They're living out on tents. I'm like, there must be some hotels and motels that would convert to affordable housing. So I'm, I'm honestly, I'm an open book and I just don't even know how to start this. It's like, how do someone take a look at what the White House might be publishing and look at and trace to your point where this fund is going so that we can get access to it to provide affordable housing. Do you have any advice uh, about things like that, these mass initiatives? Yes. Yes. So, you know, my lane is specifically been uh, focused on the public housing authorities and the resources that go to them, which is different. It is different than with the private sector on doing affordable housing. 
So what I have learned is if I'm in the private sector and I want to tap into that pipeline, I need to connect to my elected officials, okay? They are the ones, they're going to champion your project because if it's in their district, I mean, that's a win again for everyone. So you find out who are your elected officials. You talk about the legislation that's being passed, you know, or whether it's pending and you want them to support it or whether it's already passed, you let them help plug you in. Cause I mean, it's sad to say, but a lot of these decisions are made around not how much you know, but who you know. So, but if you've got a great idea, like again, to take a distressed asset. So again, one of my focuses is like, I try to lift every neighborhood I come into. So I'm not opposed to distressed assets, like older hotels or things like that. If it's still a community that I would live in, because if it's not, then it's not for me to do. I mean, maybe that whole thing needs to come down and be a whole different thing, a shopping center or something else. Um, however, um, I believe that the current administration has a strong emphasis on energy efficiency and improvements. There's money out there coming down the pipe for those. Um, and the, like you said, retrofitting existing buildings, like we just have to get smarter. If I'm just being honest with you, we have buildings that we just, we treat them like disposable, like, you know, uh, we fill up our landfill with things that we consider obsolete and it, it, and it's just wasteful. If I'm being honest, instead of repurposing our existing buildings, like they do over in Europe and other countries. So I think we are going to get there out of a, out of a place of necessity because of the construction costs and because of the lack of labor um, to build. Like we are going to have to get smarter. I think there's going to be a lot of grants coming for solar, for, you know, energy efficiency in general, affordable housing. You got to position yourself. That's what I'm going to say to everybody. You got to position yourself by just showing up and doing the next right thing. Um, talk to your elected officials, follow the news like you are, Kent. Um, and if it's yours, I mean, don't force the square peg in the round hole and don't get ahead of yourself. Don't bite off, you know, again, more than you can chew because you got to have people around you. If you don't have the skill set to do the thing, then partner with somebody. Partner with somebody who, like me. Like I will be your cheerleader. You can use my resume. Like we can joint venture on deals that I believe in. Um, because again, we're all better together. We, you know, it's like you and, and me, Kent, we have different skill sets, but together we're better than either one of us are on our own. Right. So imagine if we team up on a project we believe in, I'm like, look out universe. Oh, it's happening. I, I cannot wait because <laughs> the, the sky's really the limit here. And if that even in, I am just so thankful for you coming on, Sherry. Maybe if I were to ask you one more question, because this is the question I ask everybody on the podcast, and I'm always interested to hear everybody's response. Uh, why do you think affordable housing, particularly the lack of supply, is so hard to solve for? And what would you do to potentially help solve it? So the reason that affordable housing is in such high demand 
is, um, in my opinion, just simply my opinion, that the policymakers are not connected closely enough to the people they're serving. Mm. Um, it's not that their intentions are bad. Their intentions are good, but it's filled with so much bureaucracy and red tape that it will drive people crazy. And because I've been indoctrinated in an industry of compliance, I'm like filling out forms is not hard for me, but I, I know that it's hard for other people. Like sitting down and filling out your tax return is like, it, you know, only the first time is it really hard, but it can be overwhelming. Um, so I believe affordable housing um, is in the place it's in right now because we have never had enough of it. There's always going to be poor people in the country. They are always going to need a place to live. And it hasn't, hasn't risen to a level of being a priority for the policymakers. And now I'm just going to, again, say this is my own uh, you know, personal opinion is we have disrespected poor people in our country. We have put them in, I'm going to call them projects because that's what everybody knows them by. It was kind of like the poor people can live in this project with our tax money across town if I don't have to look at them, if I don't have to see them, and if they're not in my backyard. So I'm going to go back to policy. That's what we did from the 30s um until i don't know under hud until probably the early 2000s we just housed low income people in concentrated buildings and then we wondered why we had problems why it was crime and drug infested people had no money and they had no hope that's what we did we and and i worked in some of these housing authorities in places that depressed me when I drove into them, it was sad. It was dirty. It was filled with cockroaches. I mean, like, I just don't know how these mothers raised their children and had hope for a better day. So again, I'm not saying that the people were, did not have good intentions by building public housing projects. They did. They have evolved into a system where they are not a good use of our taxpayer money and they don't give people hope for a brighter day. So I believe all those buildings are going to come down over the next, um, you know, many of them already have. Some of them I've worked on. I'm very proud of that. And we try to build this model that's more what we call mixed income with, you know, you got some low income, extremely low income families, some low and then some moderate in there. And again, it's kind of like the stepping stone to move in, move up and move out. But I will say, every one of the tenants I have ever talked to would rather have a house and an apartment to live in. So for me, I take all those lessons and how I change it is I create the affordable housing with all the tools I've collected and all the page books I've um, taken out of other people's playbooks and I put them to work in a place and a space that I would live. And that's how I do it. Thank you so much for sharing that perspective. I completely uh, agree with you on creating mixed income communities because you can't just have all one level socioeconomic status in one area. It's very important for people to one have diversity, 
but then also to look at different professions that people are taking on because that's how you truly get inspired and sometimes when your perspective is limited to just one thing where you are just limited apart when you grew up in, in a community that you grew up in and only jobs that you grew up in it's it's hard to see beyond other options it's hard and they would it might not have even thought I thought of financial literacy or home ownership it's just so beyond what their current status might be so thank you so much for sharing that perspective sherry i this has been an amazing amazing conversation and I'm so thankful that this happened just after Thanksgiving holiday. Because again, I was telling you, I was really looking forward to this conversation during my entire Thanksgiving break. I knew you were filled with so much wisdom and value. So, hey, for people that want to find out more about you, Sherry, and work with you, where can people find out more about you? Um, a couple of places. Like my nonprofit's website is uh, Dance with Todd. I mean, because that, that's my son's name. And, you know, again, he's not with me right now in the physical, but he's with me all the time. And, like, he keeps giving me great ideas. I know it. So, I mean, you can contact me through the website and see what our housing and actually our tenants um, there. And then I do my holistic um, products through my own website. I do um, – have a book there, a children's book that I wrote. I have some essential oils where I like mix up all of Mother Earth's magic. And, you know, I use ancient shamanic recipes. And, you know, they, one of them is called Make Money Fast. Whenever you want to make money fast, I'm like, it's a little oil. Oh, my God. It's it's amazing. <laughs> I want one uh, And it works. <laughs> I mean, I, I have people who diffuse them in their, in their house. But, you know, again, I'll say that's just kind of my passion. It's not my, my main work. But that's on my website, too. A different website. That's just my name, SherrySingSavannah.com. Either way, if you want to talk to me about holistics, um, products or services, or you want to talk to me about housing, I'm all ears. All you got to do is send me an email through contact us. Oh, Sherry, I, I cannot wait to have you back on when we launch your next book, because I think the world would really want to hear and read about all the knowledge and all the stories you have to tell. So I cannot wait. Thank you. Thank you so much for what you do, Sherry. I, Thank you for doing you, being you. And seriously, without people like you, I would have never had the home I grew up in. So thank you for the massive amount of impact that you have made in the affordable housing industry. And more importantly, thank you for coming on here and sharing real tactical advice and wisdom for the audience so that they can take that onto their own and continue to spread the web of impact of the greatness and all the positivity that you have started from shining your light on the world. So thank you so much, Sherry. Thank you. Thank you. And good luck, affordable housing warriors out there. I'm cheering <laughs> you on. Yeah, let's do it. And we are out.